Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Yes, the schedule is a bit all over the place this week because we're playing early on a Saturday and we played last night against Liverpool. I thought the best thing to do was do a post-game podcast this morning, which will take the place of the regular Friday Arsecast. But on Friday, we will do the Premier League preview podcast on Patreon. So you can join us for that at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. It is a bank holiday here in Ireland. Of course, March 17th is St. Patrick's Day. So may all your beer today be great. Green and may all your shamrocks be shamrocky or some shit like that. Anyway, March 17th is also a, a particularly special day in this household because it's someone's birthday. Whose birthday? Archer, the German Shepherd. He is 10. 10 today. So a big happy birthday to Archer, who's going to get some kind of meat-based cake later on, because what else do you give a dog on his very special uh, 10th birthday? So there you go. Anyway, we will get on with the show. Less waffle, more talking about Arsenal, more talking about the 2-0 defeat to Liverpool last night, which I think is an interesting game uh, to chat about. There are some good things. Obviously, losing is never good, but I think there are things we can discuss. And with me to do that is Andrew Allen. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. A bit kind of groggy. It was a late night last night with these 8.15 kickoffs and then straight yeah. up early in the morning to record. You know? We were just talking about that, like 8.15. Yeah. It's only half an hour, but it does make a difference. I, I don't know what it is, but it, it it's not quite right. It doesn't feel right to kick off a game at 8.15. 8 o'clock, you're pushing it. 8.15, taking the piss. Yeah, I don't think the Arsenal press conference quotes dropped on the main website until just before midnight. Right. If you're waiting for those, that definitely psychologically makes a difference when you're thinking <laughs> about going to bed. Um, yeah. So, yeah. look, um, a defeat to Liverpool, I guess, is not entirely unexpected, but it's one of those games where we we try and measure where we are, what we're doing, how we're going, what progress we're making, because there have been some difficult games against Liverpool in the past. Even when we've thought we're making a bit of progress, um, we've been sort of slapped back into reality by a couple of performances against them. They tend to score a lot of goals against us. So, well, I don't want to say, well, you know, well, losing 2-0 is actually quite a, a decent measure of where we are. I think we have to try and look at it within that kind of context, not least because it's something that Mikel Arteta himself was keen to stress afterwards, whether that's just keeping his players focused on what's to come or whatever. But I think he genuinely saw, as he said, between the boxes, 
two sides that were actually competing with each other. And that very much tallies with what I saw in particular in the first half, which I thought was very competitive, if not spectacular from either side. Yeah, I thought I thought we were very um I mean certainly in that first half I think we had a we had a game plan, we had some ideas that we were trying to execute. I thought our shape was very good by and large, you know, the the gaps between us, ourselves and the Liverpool players were as they should be, you know, we felt relatively comfortable I thought and at, at times. I think what became apparent and it's it's been the recurring theme is that Arsenal up against Van Dijk and Matip and Fabinho we just really struggle. We can't, we, we struggle to score goals, I guess. And uh, I don't know whether it's, I mean, it's not just a psychological thing when you see those names on the team sheet. I mean, I felt quite confident pre-game. I mean, there was a level of confidence that I haven't felt going into an Arsenal-Liverpool game in a while last night. But I was just taking my seat as they were reading out the team names and the Liverpool kind of, you know, they were just rolling through the Liverpool names and suddenly your heart sinks and goes, oh, actually, this isn't just a case of, oh, we're really good. It should be okay. We'll, we'll give them a good mm. go you just think, oh God, they've got some incredible players. And I thought what was really interesting last night is that you can see now that Arteta has got his players learning their lines. They know what to do wherever they are on the pitch. The next level is basically doing what Liverpool do. They don't just know their own lines. They know the lines of everyone in the production, (laughs) right? You know, they can just fill in at every place and they know exactly what they're doing. They're so in tune. Um, it's great that we've learnt our lines, but yeah, we've got another <laughs> we've got another year or two to go. I think. Yeah, maybe we need to learn how to improvise a bit as well, which I think yeah. you know is something that Liverpool are very good at. And look, you know, they started with Luis Diaz and D- Diogo Jota, and like five minutes into the second half, he's got Firmino and Salah lined up on the sideline. And yeah. as much as we like to talk about their maturity as a team, their experience, and everything else. They have a depth of quality, which I think is something that we're still some distance from. And we can talk about various aspects of that. But there really is something to just having that collection of talented players who, you know, are talented uh, in their own right, but as part of what Jurgen Klopp is doing at Liverpool and has done at Liverpool, like you say, if they're not quite interchangeable, they're they're certainly very much all on the the one wavelength. So when you take two players off, put two players, or you take the goal scorer, the first goal scorer off after he's just put them ahead and you're improving your team by putting on Salah and Firmino, I mean, that is still something that we have to try A, and build, but also contend with in fixtures like this. Yeah, and look, I mean... It's gonna it's gonna take some some time. I mean, I think that the, the difficulty Arteta's had, I guess, is he he's had to spend so many of his transfer windows getting rid of players to then get himself into a position where he can then afford to bring new ones in. That it's never really been a case about him being able to go out and just sort of cherry pick the guys that he wants to come in and go from there. It's taking, I think, maybe longer than Liverpool. I don't, you know, I think there was more of a repair job to do about. Um, Arsenal when Arteta came in whereas Klopp I guess was sort of taking over from Rodgers who'd already started to lay some reasonable foundations mm. there for a, for a team that was going in the right direction um, yeah I mean look, there, were, uh, there were plenty of positives last night I, I genuinely felt that the 11 that we put out there was competitive from the off and in every position I thought they gave a very decent kind of mm. account of themselves maybe a couple of them will have realised that they're going to have to go to another level 
Um, you know, I think we all know that Erdegaard, for example, has been brilliant in recent weeks. And I think last night they obviously made a point of trying to, you know, snaffle his creativity in mm. the centre of the park. He did everything he could. But, you know, again, the, the key thing, I guess, Arteta pointed out was the fact that there was a difference in the box. And last night with, uh, with Lacazette, it, it just feels like you're sort of playing with you know, an extra midfielder rather than an actual focal point of the attack. And um, there was that moment when Thiago made the back pass. I don't yeah. want to kind of rush too far ahead, but it was almost identical to, do you remember when Steven Gerrard did that against us in 2006? Yes. It was a back pass that went to yeah. Henri. Henri just took that, ran the keeper, put it in the back of the net, yeah. game one. Difference. That's the difference in the box. On this occasion, Lacazette, I mean, he didn't do too badly. I mean, he kind of laboured towards the ball, got, control of it gave back to Erdegaard but yeah the chance went well I mean while we're on this I think we might as well talk about it and I don't want to flog a dead horse or anything like that because the Lacazette discussion has been done to death Mm. um and you know we're uh between ourselves every time there's a press conference it's like oh you're asking the Lacazette contract question again are you (laughs) really even though he's answered it like every week for the last fucking six months it feels like Mm. and the the answer has always been the same that they're going to look at it at the end of the season and maybe the landscape has changed a little bit in the absence of Aubameyang and and his departure maybe it has but uh, I think I want to look at it not so much as a, a, a discussion of what Lacazette can and can't do, because I think we've done that. We all know that. And he's trying very hard, but you could see very clearly where there is a difference in the boxes. Again, the sharpness, the ability, the movement, the the way that he might pull uh, defenders around if he was a different kind of centre forward. Or let's put it another way. If you want to be really positive about, you know, where this team can go, last night um, was an illustration of what a new centre forward could bring to this team from an attacking perspective, because it's not just about the goal scorer or or the striker scoring goals. It's about what he can do to facilitate uh, some of the others. And I know that's been a strength of Lacazette's play at times, but yesterday, uh, I just think some of the movement is a bit slow, a bit ponderous. And and I think your point about playing with an extra midfielder rather than a striker is a is a really good one. Um, so this isn't a moratorium on Lacazette because been no, there, done no. that, worn the t-shirt. But I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, when we've got Martinelli and we've got Sack and we've got Odegaard, we've got Smith Rowe. I'm now looking to see what happens next, and that, if we're looking for positives, I think is is one we can we can start to to hang our hats on a little bit when it comes to the summer. Albeit, you know, it's a bit down the line, and we do have games to play, and we do need Lacazette and the others uh, to contribute between now and then. Yeah, I, I think what was really interesting was actually you look at the goal that Firmino scores mm. and the run that he makes across the near post. And you think, well, if Arsenal had had a bloke making that run the two times that Martinelli kind of got to the byline, then suddenly you've got a guy who's there to finish off an excellent bit of play. And what we don't have at the moment is, I guess, that kind of figure. It was something that, I mean, I don't want to really compare Olivier Giroud and Alex Lacazette, but Olivier Giroud was an out-and-out striker who got across his man at the near post and scored a lot of goals there. You know, he finished off moves. We're now getting to the point where, as a team, we're flowing, we're creating creating opportunities we just don't have the guy there to, to to put the ball in the back of the net now would we 
create some of those opportunities if Lacazette wasn't drip, dropping back in the first place. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it's going to have to be a, a, an incredible upgrade to, to have someone who's able to combine both the, the, the ability to drop deep and the ability to go in the box and, and score. I mean, maybe he doesn't need to do two. We just yeah. amend the team around him. But yeah, it's, it is at the moment, I think, the difference. And it's not lost on anyone inside the club, outside the club, anybody watching Arsenal. And as you say, it's not to denigrate Lacazette. I think what he's doing is incredible, very hardworking, but it's, he's just not that that guy at the yeah. moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly on our to-do list and it doesn't actually make any difference whether Lacazette stays or not. You know, we, we've, if Nketiah goes and we've already lost Lacazette, we need to buy strikers yeah. and those strikers are going to have to be finishers. Um, this summer, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot to do in that area of the pitch, for sure, particularly if Nketiah goes, which looks likely. And like I said, you know, I I see the calls for giving him a one-year contract or whatever, but I'm not sure um, what the player wants. Uh, I think when yeah. a player gets to his age, he's probably going to want a longer deal, more security, and, you know, maybe he want to play a lot. If Arsenal go out and sign a big, shiny new striker who's going to be our number nine in all the games that we're going to play, if you're Lacazette, do you sign on for 10-minute substitute appearances and some cup games and what have you when you're when you're at this point in your career? I'm not sure that's the case. So even if Arsenal were to try and do it, he might not be into it himself. So it is, it is something that we're going to have to reckon with. I think we should talk about um, that chance then, the Thiago back pass, mm. uh, which I, I guess he just didn't see Lacazette, who was probably behind Van Dijk or Matip or one of those. Um, how do you view what happened next? Lacazette took it. I think I think this is really, really good goalkeeping. To be honest, yeah. I think it's it's easy for a goalkeeper to panic in that split second when the ball comes through and Lacazette goes. I mean, how many times have you seen a goalkeeper make a split second decision where he clatters the attacker, he concedes a penalty, goes to ground? gets rounded. I think what Alisson does on, on both occasions is is absolutely top-class goalkeeping in that he stays on his feet, he forces Lacazette to make the pass, and the focus he has on Odegaard as he closes him down is really quite something. When There's a, a great replay um, you know, where, where it's behind Odegaard and you can see Alisson just watching, 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 and he, he makes a very good save. You could say it's a miss, but I think it's more great goalkeeping than a bad miss. Um, if Odegaard had put it wide, for example, bad miss. But I think it's it's very very good goalkeeping. Yeah, I mean that was actually my instant reaction in the in the stadium, mm. and I think it, probably a reaction that was shared by most because you, you know when a player has done a, a bad miss because the stadium reacts with a sort of angry yeah, growl, yeah, yeah, yeah. groan. You know, people hit the seats in front of them. There's a different noise, whereas that was very much the sort of oh, and then everybody kind of taking a moment and going, oh, that was a good save, wasn't it? And yeah, everyone yeah, going, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and it, and, it, and it was, I mean, as you say, I mean, he stayed on his feet when, when Lacazette got the ball, which gave him the opportunity to then make the second save. And I think if you were going to criticise Erdegaard, you'd say a natural goal scorer there might take it first time mm. when the, you know, when, when there's a bit more space to, to find the back of the net. But sure. I think, I think if you're Martin Erdegaard and you've got a six foot something, Allison doing a starfish right in front of you from three yards. You know, yeah. he, he did everything he could to sort of smash it in the goal. As you say, it was on target. And Allison ultimately, you know, he did what he needed to do, but he didn't know where the ball was going to go. And he's he's got lucky that it's gone over the bar. So, you know, fair play to him. It did feel like 
a big moment. It yeah. always kind of does because yeah. when you're a side, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, especially against a Liverpool team that don't concede that many chances. Yeah. Um, there was a moment where I think people's hearts sort of sunk yeah. a little bit. And obviously, yeah, minutes later, there we go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you flip it around and Aaron Ramsdale does that to Mo Salah, we would be talking about Aaron Ramsdale making a, an absolutely brilliant save rather than it being a dreadful miss uh, from Salah. But I guess we have to talk about Aaron Ramsdale um, in relation yeah. to uh, the first Liverpool goal. I've watched it back quite a few times. And look, I think he will be more disappointed than anybody. Um, the old adage about how goalkeepers should never be beaten at their near post. I'm not sure it's always true, but I think this is one of those instances where it absolutely is true because he did get a hand on it, wasn't strong enough. Um, I also think we do have to talk about how that chance came about as well. Ben White got pulled into the middle and Cedric, it's always been my fear with him that players can just run away from him a bit too easily. And this was one of those moments where half a second, a second, he just switched off, Jota ran through. Um, I'm tired of Diogo Jota, I have to say. Yeah, I'm very, nice. very, very tired of, of seeing him. Um, but it, it it's a goal that when you look back on it, we should have done a lot better with. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, Thiago kind of picks the ball up very deep, doesn't he? Mm. I have to say the pass is incredible because he threads it right between Saka and Party, And I think in so doing, mm. Cedric is completely caught out by the run. He's caught, you know, just sort of a momentary lapse in concentration and Jota's in there. Um, you know, I... Uh, it was frustrating that it was a, it was one ball straight through, yeah. you know, the the, the, the kind of corridor um, between Ben White and 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 uh, and Cedric. But you know, Jota's just a player full of confidence, and even in that situation, you know, a lot of players fluffed their lines, and he just mm. kind of drove in, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. I mean, I guess Ramsdale, thinking about it, was probably expecting him to go across, you know, to the other side. Yeah, maybe um, or a cutback. Yeah, or a cutback. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it wasn't quite Steve Highway versus Bob Wilson in the 1971 FA Cup final getting caught <laughs> in the near post there, but it wasn't pretty from Ramsdale. And as you say, like, I, I mean, I don't need to tell Aaron Ramsdale that he's probably disappointed with himself there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, on Cedric, I think, I think by and large, over the course of the last few weeks, we've all looked at him and thought he's done a pretty solid job off the back of being part of a consistent back four yeah. kind of knowing his job and I think you know what you saw last night was the difference between a Harvey Barnes and a Diego Jota like at the weekend you can kind of get away with it against Leicester um, and last night you didn't and, yeah. and you know again he wouldn't be playing if Tommy Asu was, was fit and um, that is a key area I guess for us to upgrade in the future um, yeah, I mean, or keeping Tommy Asu fit, and this is yeah, yeah, this, exactly. this maybe explains why there is such a, a measure of caution about him and about bringing him back and making sure that he's a hundred percent fit. Because when you look at the remaining fixtures that we have, we've got some, we've got, we don't have too many Watfords and Brentfords left. We've mm. got Tottenham, we've got Chelsea, we've got. <clears throat> Man United, we've got big, big games against uh, teams that are West Ham as well. Do we have to play West mm. Ham as well? So, yeah, way, yeah. You know, so there are some big, big games where 
I think his presence in those games just gives us that extra little bit of um, solidity. And again, it's not like go to town on Cedric uh, time, even though I think there's uh, an issue in the in the second goal as well. But it highlights the importance of those first choice players. I mean, you could say the same if it were if it were I don't know Rob Holding in for Ben White maybe or Gabriel and and whatever it might be. Like there is always some kind of drop off when it comes to your. Um, your backups, uh, mm. particularly mm. when you have a, a small squad. I mean, my my concern about Tommy Asu is obviously this injury will have stretched from pretty much December through to April by the time he plays, yeah. and dropping him into a you know into the team when yeah. every game is massive is going to be quite difficult. Like he needs to get some minutes somewhere to get up to speed because he strikes me as a quite. Uh, I don't know whether introverted character is the right thing, but he's, he's, he thinks a lot about his own game. And, you know, he, he, he wrote in his column that he has in one of the Japanese newspapers about, you know, building up his confidence and whether or not he was good enough to be at Arsenal and understanding all the tactics mm. and all the rest of it. And you kind of think if a player like that goes into a game not feeling completely sort of sound in their own body, that level of doubt can, you know, cause issues as soon as someone starts running at you. And yeah. I think we saw that in the Carabao Cup semi final when he was thrown in and he wasn't fit and Jota completely wrecked him that night. Um, so to be fair, it doesn't, you know, in, in, in two games running at the Emirates, Jota's taken advantage of, of both of our right backs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is important that we get him back because I, I think he does bring something different. He's just physically more of a monster than, than Cedric. I think people look at Cedric and think I can beat this guy. And obviously Jota's not a big guy either. So, um, you know, there, there wasn't much of a physical battle for him to worry about there. Yeah, I, I just think Tommy Asu has uh, a defensive mindset, a kind of switched onness, if you like, in the final third, in the defensive third that, that Cedric doesn't quite have. Yeah, and I think, you know, with the second goal, I don't think you see Tommy Asu doing what Cedric did, yeah. which was sort of desperately trying to make a race up the pitch to help Saka and give him an option to, to start a breakaway, which ultimately you know, yeah. killed us positionally there. Yeah, I mean, that was a poor decision from him, I yeah. think. Given that given that entire passage of play, um, you know, there were moments where we could have cleared it. I think Gabriel was soft to lose it on the edge of the box the way that he did, and it scrambled around. We got it half clear. And I think when you're in a, a situation like that, having just conceded, um, when you're under that kind of pressure and the ball breaks the way that it does... I just question the look. I, uh, in some ways, maybe this is the instruction. When there's a chance to break, when Liverpool have pushed forward, let's try and break. But I, I'm just wondering who exactly he was going to break with in that moment. I'm just going to well, watch it again. I mean, most of the Arsenal players are in the Arsenal penalty I, I area. Can, I can tell you because I counted them this morning. They, we had 10 men within eight yards of the goal line when they scored. Right. And, so and, and, where was Cedric? <laughs> what was he going to do? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was going to be a very difficult kind of breakaway goal we were going to score there, especially yeah. as it was sort of Saka on his own going up the wing. Um Yeah, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't great. But again, you know, ruthless from Liverpool. Absolutely ruthless. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Robertson did exactly what he needed to do, took advantage of the space, drove to the byline, had a man to pick out, found him, goal. And yeah. Emirates I, at that point just went... Yeah, like you could feel the air come out of the place yeah. a bit. Um, I mean, you will know yourself, you were there. Um, but like a one-goal deficit against Liverpool is tough enough 
when you concede two, and I think this is uh, this is quite often a measure of of really good teams is is that when they when they land a punch before you've had time to write yourself, they smack you about the back of the head with another one, you know, as we used to do in our pump. Um, mm. You'd score a goal, and before they even had a chance to regroup or, or get themselves settled again, you score another one, and that's basically game over, you know. Um, I do think that the defending in general for that goal was was not great, though. Gabriel, um, I mean, Firmino's movement, it, it's excellent, and he's a top-quality player. There's no two ways about it, but I do think that's... The sort of thing where you could defend better as a central defender like he's got him he doesn't have him he's trying to step up he's caught in two minds I just think if he stays tight with the man he prevents that chance you know um and I guess that's the way Mikel Arteta will be looking at these goals and the way that he will be talking to his players about these goals when they analyze the game when they analyze the uh, the way we conceded part of the process is well look Look at what we did here, bit by bit, break it down into its uh, into its separate chunks and say, look, in those moments, this is what you're going to have to do next time. I mean, he definitely referenced the goals as being poor goals to concede last night when yeah. he was sort of reflecting on the game. And I think he was, you know, he has that kind of seething anger post-game when Arsenal lose. Like, he just can't. <laughs> There's no kind of fake smiles when, when, when Arsenal lose, when Arteta's facing the press. And I think, there was that sort of real, there was a, a very fine line between mm. the pride he felt for the overall performance and the frustration he felt at being quite close, but not quite close enough. Yeah. And it sort of being, you know, not a too dissimilar mistake for us to make, you know, it takes yeah. one moment switch off and then suddenly goal game over. Cause it was like that against city really, um, you know, it, tiny moments made the difference in the end. Um, but Look, I mean, I, I still, I still think there's there's a lot of positives to take. I mean, I think frustratingly, obviously, we played Liverpool four times this season. It's too we've much. Not scored. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, it's too much. But too we've much. we've not scored. We've conceded eight. You know, that's that's quite a lot. Mm. Um, there is still a, a gap there. I don't know that Liverpool are going to get much worse in the next couple of seasons. I mean, if they manage to hold on to, to Salah, for example, I know that some of their players are aging and whatnot, but there's a few Rolls-Royce in there and they have a very good uh, scouting department. Luis Diaz looks like a, a real, real player. Yeah. Um, so it's just going to, it's going to be very, very hard to close that gap because they are not giving up on, you know, you know, pushing themselves no. higher and higher. Um, I mean, the, the the motivation that they had going into this game, you oh, know, was was huge. Yeah. was huge. Knowing that a win would put the title in their in their hands, more or yeah. less, because if they if they can beat Man City when they play in a couple of weeks, you know, it it really feels like the title is going to come down to that game between those two teams. Because City have won what I don't know how many City have won in a row, or they they drew against Palace obviously the other night, but Liverpool have have won nine in a row. You know, they were talking about our five in a row wins, which is good, but Liverpool mm. had won eight in a row. And and both of these teams are capable of going on those kind of runs, not simply not losing, but just winning game after game after game, the relentlessness of those wins. Um, you know, and, and that's something I think we have to take into account when we think about the result, the performance. Um, I, I know opinions will vary based on uh, you know, w what people think of how well we did overall or didn't do. Um, I think Arteta was probably 
uh, talking up just a little bit the quality of our performance between the two boxes. I think there were things that certainly we could have improved, but knowing we've got Villa on Saturday and he's trying to talk up these players into into believing, and I think they were, competitive against Man City, competitive against Liverpool, who are the two best teams in the country. And from there, he's sort of, he's sending them this message that if you can do this against these teams, Mm. the other teams where those fine margins aren't quite as fine, where you don't have to be absolutely elite to score the goals or take advantage, then it sort of informs how you approach those games and the confidence levels you have. Yeah, I think, and I know it's a big if at the moment, but... If we make the Champions League, we won't be going up against sides much better than Manchester City and and Chelsea and Liverpool. Mm. You know, these are we we basically got three of the world's best teams sitting above us in the league, and we're trying to close the gap on them. And I guess at the moment, without another competition in which we can compare ourselves, um, it, it 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 could be tempting to get a bit downhearted about the fact that we can't get over the line against them, but. Mm. You know, I think it was interesting. I think on Tuesday night, was it Benfica made the quarterfinals of the Champions League? And that was a Benfica side that a year ago we beat without too much trouble in the Europa League. And I think back to what type of football we're playing now compared to them. I think you put us into the Europa League this season right now and we don't make those same mistakes. We go on and win that tournament. I think this Arsenal team right now, playing the football it's playing, could actually get to a quarterfinal of a Champions League probably. I mean, obviously, depending on the draw stage and what have you. And I don't who, want to who we've look got too far ahead. But <laughs> I think that's probably Arteta's got to go, look, guys, best team in the world, second best team in the world. You're giving them a good go. Yeah, We are in the right, you know, we're going in the right direction. I I, I agree. I agree. I know it's really hard as well sometimes to think about, you know, defeats like the one against Man City, like the one against Liverpool and say um, there are positives or we should take all the positives from them and not focus on the fact that we haven't taken any points from either of those games, which I think, of course, is an issue. But I don't know what we learn from uh, games like this unless we do see what the direction of travel is, what the positives are, what can we do to augment the things that are already good about this team, which I think are 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 there. There are things. Mar- Gabriel Martinelli, for example, last night, um, there was somebody uh, sent a tweet at me saying, well, was it that good? If you look at the stats, he had no shots on target, no, no key passes, whatever it was. And it's like, well, hang on. Use your eyes. Yeah. You know, yeah. your eyes tell you uh how well a guy played and i thought he was absolutely sensational and this is another another aspect of when i think about the future those moments where he skinned trent the one where he nutmegged henderson got into the box it was shimmy like i think at the end of that as brilliant as that was i think there is a better pass to be made at the end of that as as well i'm not criticizing martinelli i'm just saying that this is still a 20-year-old player who is now really, um, for the first time, a first-team regular at Arsenal. And we can see his development. We can see his progress. And there are things that are going to come with time, with experience, with maturity, with more game time that will make him better again. You know, So I think when we 
think about this game against Liverpool, as disappointing as it is to lose any game, someone like Martinelli to do what he did... I mean, Klopp was quite funny afterwards, talking about, well, if you if you say Trent can't defend, I'll knock you down. I think that's what he said on Sky Sports. <laughs> Who are these people that say Trent can't defend? I'll, you know, you don't know anything about football. Well, okay, fair enough. But I watched Martinelli roast that guy a couple of times, and he's a brilliant footballer, Trent. There's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. There was one pass. Was it early in the second half? First-time pass. Not long after their disallowed goal, it was like, holy shit, this this guy is, like, amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it's and defending isn't his strong point. At the same time, though, we, what Martinelli did yesterday, to me, that is part of why we can, we can maintain a level of confidence about where we're going. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Alexander-Arnold would have relished the battle that in the pressure that he was put under there because it yeah. was an incredible test between the two of them. I thought I thought what was really interesting with Martinelli is that he's always had that ability to skip past a player and his decision making, yeah, has not always been great. But more than anything last night was his ball retention and his strength, I thought really struck me because mm. he was given the ball a lot, but quite often had to go back towards his own goal with players around him, but he kept the ball. Whereas a couple of years ago, he would maybe make a loose pass and those loose pass would lead to transition moments. Those transition moments would put us under pressure. And I think he's realising sometimes you don't always have to go and do the the big thing. You just need to keep the ball and keep the, the move working and moving. Mm. And um, I mean, he was, he was great last night. I mean, you said earlier about, you know, you just have to use your eyes. When you're in the stadium, you just have to use your ears because everybody is excited <laughs> when he gets the ball. You know, there's this real sense of like electricity and he kind of, I love watching him run at people. But a bit, as I was saying earlier, is you've got to, I think we need to give him someone else in the box to aim, aim the ball at. Mm. I think he looked up a couple of times yesterday and saw just a blur of yellow shirts and, and sort of played a percentage pass when maybe... You know, yeah, he could have made a better pass, but also if we'd had more people there to pass to, he might have had more chance of finding yeah. someone. So, yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I don't know about you, but I get the feeling that Martinelli almost prefers the the big games. He almost seems to come to the fore when you know there's a real big opponent and a big stage. Because mm. he was excellent against City, even though he didn't score, and he was excellent last night, even though he, he didn't score, and he did almost everything but in both games. Yeah, um, and some of the quieter games, he's not quite been able to get himself into it. I don't know whether it's partly to do with our tactics and him being more of an outball and whatnot. But. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, maybe. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because there could be a psychological aspect to that when you're facing Liverpool. Um, you know, uh, and also it's come off the back of a call-up to the Brazil side. So I guess yeah. in a big, big game like that, he's going to be super fired up. But I think he will be anyway. It's, I think it's as much to do with the fact he's 20. And there are going to be issues of consistency, inconsistency, whatever you want to call it. You know, I thought Bukayo Saka was brilliant against Leicester, quieter last night. Martin Odegaard as well. I think there are reasons as to why he was quieter against Liverpool than he was against Leicester. But mm. there is going to be some measure of inconsistency with with young players. And that's why when I think about where we're going, when they can add that to their game, um, you know, Jota, Salah, Mane, I mean, they have their off days, but more often than not, they're on and they will cause you 
significant problems, even if they don't score. And mm. that's where I think we've got to go with this this group of, of young players, in particular those, you know, higher up the pitch. It is going to be still part of the process that their their levels are going to fluctuate a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What did I mean? What did you um, what did you make of the substitutions in the end last night? It felt to me a bit like, you know, going into the last fifteen twenty minutes, mm. Arteta recognised this was not a game we were going to win. Just yeah. rest some legs before Villa, right? Yeah, he didn't kind of, you know, he could have easily, <clears throat> excuse me, thrown the kitchen sink at them. You know, kept Erdegaard on, put. Pepe and that, uh, Smith Rowe on, and he yeah. just he he kind of just went ah, this isn't happening. I did wonder about that, you know, because when we conceded the two quick goals, I was thinking, well, what what can we do here to try and get something from this game? Because you know, it was an hour in, just after the hour mark, so there's time to do something. But I I just wonder if perhaps some of the the scars of Liverpool games in the past were part of the the instructions and the way that we 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 dealt with the rest of the game. Like I was thinking he can get Smith Rowe on, but who's he gonna put him on for? Like could you put him on for Xhaka, for example, and and really have a go at Liverpool? But then if you ship another couple of goals and you end up being beaten four nil yeah, it's it's really difficult then to to try and take anything positive from that game, which you know I think that played a part in what he was doing. I mean, Smith Rowe came on with sixty six minutes, but he came on for for Odegaard, and I think that was a to maybe give Odegaard a rest, but b to get some some decent minutes into Smith Rowe's legs because he hasn't played mm. uh, a great deal in the last few weeks. Beyond that, I think you're right. It was about saving people. It was about getting Saka uh, off the pitch before someone kicked him. Um, I don't think they were really changes to try, as hard as this is to sort of contemplate, I don't think they were changes with the rest of the Liverpool game in mind as much as the Villa game on Saturday. Yeah, and it's such a, I mean, it's such a massive game now, the Villa game, because, yeah. you know, lose two games on the bounce going into the interlull, um that that would not be that no. would not be ideal. It's too it's too long to kind of chew yeah. over that negativity when really things have been going pretty well. Um, yeah. So it's a kind of it's one of those games where I look at it and I think, you know, I'd actually probably I, would I take a draw. I probably would take a draw against Villa actually. You know, just to just to kind of change the narrative a little bit. And they're not an easy place to go. And no. um, a point wouldn't be the the worst thing before we regroup. I w- I would take three points. <laughs> if, you don't mind. If, if if I have the choice, I'll take three points. I know what you're saying, but I, I maybe another measure of how this team is progressing and developing is how they deal with with a defeat. Because yeah. we lost to Man City on New Year's Day, and then had those run of games. Like two of them were against Liverpool, of course, and mm. uh, there was the Nottingham Forest game. And there were other things in play then. There was AFCON. There were, like, we had about 16 red cards in January. Uh, we had some injuries and the whole lot. So there were reasons why those games didn't go quite as well. And and I really do think that the the five games in a row that we won are more aligned to that New Year's Day performance than mm. the immediate games that came after them. But I do think we have to make sure we respond against Villa on Saturday, where... Um, the one game at a time mantra really comes into play. Like, do not get carried away when you win, but also it doesn't mean the the 
the ceiling's fallen in when you lose, you know? Mm, mm. I mean, I looked at the games after, you know, when we came back from Dubai, there was a quite, this was quite an obvious chunk of games yeah. where you kind of thought, okay, how many points do we need to get from this section? And it's like, you can afford to maybe lose one game. Mm. And then they added in the kind of Liverpool game rearranged, didn't they? So that yeah. kind of became the game that you were going to lose. Um and then, yeah, I mean, we, we we have done we have done very very well, and I think we have to realise that to get to the number of points that we need to get this season from the games that we've got left, there has been there is a tiny little bit of wiggle room basically yeah. to lose, but you just can't allow that defeat to get in your head and to man you know manifest and 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 yeah. and, and become bigger. You know, I think yeah, we just need to we just need to get through the Villa game uh, with our spirit intact and then yeah. go again. Mikel Arteta was not particularly pleased with um, the scheduling of the the Aston Villa game, and he spoke about it at his press conference last night. I'm going to play the clip here so you can have a listen to this, and this is the uh, this is what he had to say, going a little bit pep in in some of his answers, but but here it is. Okay, you mentioned the mental side of it, but physically, you've got a very tight turnaround before you go to Villa Park. Considering the energy, you're thank you so much to the Premier League. To do that, and they've done it again when we have to play Chelsea and Manchester United. So if they want to give them any advantage, I say to them today, thank you so much for doing that. Do you think the players will be? Yes, 100%. Don't worry, the players on Saturday, they will be there with energy. They will sleep, eat well. But thank you so much to the Premier League for for putting the fixtures like this. Very, very helpful. Did did you make a a representation to to the Premier League? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair what they've done. Sorry? No, it's always it's always BT, it's Sky, is this, is that. Yeah, but the one that is affected is Arsenal, and the only thing that I care and we care is Arsenal. And for Arsenal, it's not fair. I I thought that was interesting. I have to say because look, I understand completely when you're playing at eight fifteen on a Wednesday and then you get the early kickoff on a Saturday and they did the same thing. And we're going to have to face this in a couple of weeks' time where we've got a Wednesday night game against uh, Chelsea and then an early kickoff on Saturday uh, against Manchester United, which I, I I do have to say feels a little bit uh, unfair. But that is the way that TV companies work. And remember, they're going to fuck us over with the the Tottenham game as well. But in the in the pregame stuff against Liverpool, I think he made a point. It wasn't about TV scheduling or whatever, but he he said something along the lines of like, "I don't know. I hate all this. We feel sorry for ourselves. All yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff, you know." Um, and, and this isn't necessarily feeling sorry for ourselves, but I wonder is his reaction to this? Is his public reaction to this something we've talked about? Uh, this season is the the us against them mentality that has been fostered at times. And I wonder if this is part of that as well. He feels aggrieved. There's no two ways about it. He feels unhappy about that. But but he could easily say, well, look, there's nothing we can do about it. We've just got to get on and win the fixture, win the game, deal with the schedule the way it is. But he made a point of, of I think, uh, to say it's not fair is quite strong. And I, I think that might be as much a message to his players and the fans and trying to cultivate this siege mentality thing we've spoken about. I think I think it might be partly that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 my, my first take on it is it's not the type of thing he gives a shit about in a press conference. 
or remarks about that strongly if Arsenal win the game. It's I think it's partly driven by the frustration of what's just played out in the two hours mm. beforehand. Secondly, I mean, as much as I want him to foster that spirit, looking at it, I'm not sure that Arsenal are particularly screwed over by the situation. Obviously, it's not ideal playing late on a Wednesday, early on a Saturday. But when you actually look at the way the fixtures fall, um, Chelsea have got less, you know, 24 hours less to prepare for the game against us because they travel to Leeds on the Sunday and we face the Southampton on the Saturday. And they've so got to go by horse and cart yeah, as well. It's taken quite, them a while yeah. to get up there. And I guess that's balanced out by the fact that Manchester United <laughs> have an extra 24 hours to pre- prepare for the game against us yeah. because they play Liverpool on the Tuesday when we play on the Wednesday, but then they're playing Liverpool. So it's a big game. I don't know. I mean, at this time of the season, like when games come thick and fast, and it's not like we're overburdened by matches at the moment, sure. it, it kind of seems like a weird fight to pick. I'm more pissed off on behalf of the supporters who have to wait so long for these games to be kind of confirmed by the Premier League mm. who missed their deadline by about three weeks. Look, uh, this is the first time this season, I guess, we're, we're facing two sets of fixtures where we're really going to test our fitness and our legs. And, yeah. you know, if you're winning games, it's fine. You just carry that momentum. It's more if you have a hiccup and then you have to go again quickly. And even in those circumstances, you want another game quickly because... You yeah, know, you don't want it to fester, yeah. Exactly. So I, 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 it's, a, it's a weird battle to, to, to pick, mostly because it's not one he can win. He's got no skin in the game there. Like He's not going to influence the way the TV broadcasters make their selections or anything yeah. like that. I, don't, I certainly don't think they're going to think twice about sticking you know, Arsenal v Spurs on a Wednesday night you know, just before the end of the season, which I, I think all of us are expecting. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I'm more than happy for him to kind of go, you know, backs against the wall. I'm really curious about how he's going to make them sleep well what they're going to eat because he mentioned that several times did, in several different yeah. interviews last night what is it um, I was I was sitting there last night and I'd had a couple of beers watching the game and I was feeling a bit peckish and he said we're going to have a good night's sleep we're going to eat something nice and I was like Ooh, what <laughs> What are you, what are you going to eat can he's I can have the rest of it please or something yeah <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean because I mean I get it I guess quite a lot of these players um, they kind of drink these kind of caffeine drinks don't they before mm. games and and if you're doing that before a late, a late kickoff and then you've got the adrenaline of the yeah, game, yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking hell, I imagine it must be very, very difficult for Gabriel Martinelli who gets home at midnight to just go to sleep and then get up the next morning, yeah. get a training at, you know, whatever it is, eight, nine o'clock. And, 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 you know, you, you're probably just sort of full of this sort of caffeine in you and, yeah. But you know, it's not. I'm not being paid to to work on the nutrition side of Arsenal's games. So no. it's someone else's problem. But uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, just one final thing. You were there, obviously, and at the at the final whistle. I know people have gone home um, because that's the nature of evening games. Uh, even if it's a 7:45 kickoff, there are people who, for various reasons, um, leave before the end to get public transport, to avoid car park queues, whatever the hell it might be. You know, some people have got a significant distance to get home um, from the Emirates, uh, ticket holders and, and all that kind of stuff. So we understand why that happens. But at the final whistle, there was a fairly rousing reception for the team, which hasn't always been the case when we've lost, uh, when a game hasn't gone our way, when the result hasn't gone our way. Um, you know, from your first-hand perspective, what did that feel like? And what does that tell you about the way the team and the fans are connected this season? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely something going on. I mean, we several people have remarked on it on Askbog via columns, you know, mm. written about it and stuff. There's a there's a younger demographic who feels more in tune with what a match day experience should be, and that is around supporting the team. And mm. it's not about carrying any other agendas into the stadium with the players. They like the players. They want the players to do well. It wasn't just at the full-time whistle that there was that kind of rousing reception, but it was... After the up, second goal, yeah. After yeah, the yeah. second goal, the the crowd was probably at its noisiest in terms of trying to get the players going again. And I think that can only be a, a good thing for us going forward if we can maintain that. I mean, obviously, what we're feeding off as a crowd is the fact that we can see the players are giving their all and they're getting you know some good results this season they've got to keep doing it because it's a kind of mutual relationship if if we start to fall off a, a cliff it won't take too long for the grumbles to come sure. back um but no there's a there's a there's a nice young vibrant energy there's also a sort of do you want to say there's a sort of aggression in the crowd actually at the moment and i think that comes with the youthfulness there's a, a sort of a sense that we need to turn this into a, a, a an intimidating atmosphere, which for years has not been the case. You know, it's been know, like going to the opera or something, but it, it's been a kind of experience a day out yeah. for some people. And, and now it's becoming like this place where we realize that we can play a part and we can really go at it. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's something that is definitely, I mean, the stadium's just full. Mm. absolutely full like i mean against leicester i thought um it was really interesting because the game kicked off at 4:30 and again last night it kicked off at 8:15 i don't know whether people expected games to kick off at 4 and 8 but the the stadium was much more full as the game kicked off and it makes a difference because yeah. it means that there's just more people trying to put pressure on the opposition from the get go whereas quite often people get to the stadium a bit late and stuff so i mean arsenal have a big issue of making sure that people are in their seats before games. Part of that, they're trying to resolve, you know, the new ticketing kind of uh, things on the, yeah. on the gates and stuff, just making sure that there's people in their seats. You know, they've had the, the beer promotions and stuff as well to get people in earlier in the season. All of that is a good thing because it, it does make a difference. It all adds up. And if people are enjoying the experience more and they, they like the fact that the singing's happening, they'll sing more the next time as well. So, yeah, yeah it's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with that stuff. It, I think the club will be pleased as well. Yeah, all right. Results next, obviously. Um, but, you know, we can, take, we can take positives from that and, and hopefully um, respond when we go to Villa Park on Saturday. So. I just had one last question because yeah. it wasn't immediately obvious what was going on, and I don't know whether it was at home. But the pitch invader, um, yeah, did you see that? I mean, the guy seemed to come on at the North Bank end, and he immediately ran to the goalpost and looked as if he was about to try and handcuff himself to the post. Yeah, and at that point, I thought, oh my god, like this is going to be really awkward because if he does actually do that, you know, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how long is that going to take to get him off? And then he just seemed to kind of act dead. Like the steward pulled him off. We didn't, it took ages for there to be a paramedic, like to come and see him because nobody really knew whether he was actually like, you know, incapacitated or if he was just acting. It was really weird. As as always uh, on TV, they don't tend to show those incidents. 
Mm. I think if he had handcuffed himself to the goalpost, they probably would have had to show it. But the same with streakers. They never show them because they don't want to encourage it. So I don't really know. I haven't had a chance to read around as to to what exactly the the cause was or whatever it was that he was protesting. Um, But we, we didn't see it. They mentioned it. They said, oh, there's... There's a pitch invader here, or there's somebody trying to attach himself to the goalpost, but mm. they were showing there might have been a throw yeah. in over on the right hand side. So I don't really have any clue. It, it was a very it. weird moment because it, I think, particularly in the North Bank, it completely distracted the crowd. And I think it was in the period in between the two goals, and the atmosphere right. definitely dropped a bit because everybody was trying to see what was going to happen to him because he'd been shoveled over the, the hoardings, was lying on the floor with a steward standing yeah, on his yeah. back, basically. A few of the photographers down there were taking pictures, but the way he was acting, it looked like he he was dead. And um, you know, wow. as a consequence, the crowd were kind of like, "Oh, you know, what's going on?" You know, completely distracted. And then, yeah, well, I mean, I don't think that had any effect on what was going on the pitch, but it was just a moment, a weird one. Yeah, I just Twitter. I uh, just had a quick look on Twitter, but the first link I see is a a Daily Mail uh, link, so <laughs> I'm not going to click that. that. Uh, yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Strange. Yeah. Strange incident. All right. Well, look, um, let's hope we can uh, pick ourselves up and do the business against Villa on Saturday. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Andrew, as always, thank you very much. See you later. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at a Allen sport at a Allen sport, right? I am going to leave it there for this particular episode. As always, thank you very much indeed for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join us on Patreon for a Premier League preview podcast tomorrow afternoon. And of course, James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra talking about whatever goes down against Aston Villa on Saturday morning. As I said to Andrew, I'll take the three points if nobody minds. Until the next one, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
A day in the life with the man who decides the Premier League fixture schedule. I get up quite early, as a rule, and before my morning ablutions, I will have a bowl of oats. The fibre's tremendous for the digestion, you know? Helps loosen things up in there. <laughs> then I take the dog for a walk. Well, I would if I had a dog, but I don't. I despise them. They're terrible, filthy creatures. And I sit down at my desk and I think to myself, how can I use my fixture, Mickey, to fuck Arsenal this week? I have to say, I always always find a way. It's one of the things I enjoy most about this work, the variety, you see. Whatever challenges and problems there are to overcome, I can always manage to give them a good shafting. Then I basically spend the rest of my day on Twitter using my burner account at plsked82643282964216161. And I spend most of the rest of the day just trolling my balls off until the oats start to work again. God, I love oats. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.